the passage today is John 6, 25 through 48, and can be found on page 891 in the Bibles in front of you. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What, was, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has, he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How, now does, he, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has, excuse me, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. You are what you eat. I don't know if you know, but this passage goes all the way back to 1826. In that year, a French lawyer who had also become a famous gastronome, you know what that is? A foodie, essentially. He wrote, tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. The phrase resurfaced about 100 years later when a nutritionist used it in association with bad food, saying that 90% of the diseases known to man are caused by cheap foodstuffs. You are what you eat. The point's pretty clear. When it comes to your body, when it comes to your physical self, you're only as healthy as the food on which you feast. What you eat makes you into what you are. I think what we're going to see this morning in John chapter 6 is that this principle holds true not only in the physical, but in the spiritual. When it comes to your spiritual life, 
When it comes to the state, when it comes to the health of your soul, you are what you eat. Tell me what your faith lives on. Tell me what your faith eats, and I'll tell you what you are. Now, the thing we're going to see this morning in John chapter 6 is that, is that there is a God in heaven who wants you to feast on what's good. And because of this, in his great mercy, he has sent down food from heaven. This food from heaven, it has eternal, blessed, happy life wrapped all up in it. And whoever eats of this heavenly food will be just that, eternally happy, eternally blessed. Now, if that's true, then it raises some serious questions for us. <laughs> what is this food? Where do I get it? How do I eat it? What will it do to me? I want to use our time in John chapter 6 as we kind of dive back in, at least for a week, on this series of knowing Christ, who Jesus is to us. I want to unpack these three questions one at a time. Number one, what is this heavenly food? What is this heavenly food? So in order to answer this question, I think it's going to be helpful to take a little bit of our time. We're going to spend most of our time here on this first point. We got to get a sense of how things have been building up to this point in John. We're just kind of splashing down here in chapter 6. We need to get a sense of what's been going on already, how it pertains to the passage that we find ourselves in this morning. And the really important thing, at least one really important thing I think we need to notice, is that from the very beginning of John's gospel, there's been lots of talk about life. Life. From the very beginning, from John chapter 1, all the way to his famous words of giving eternal life in the Son in John chapter 3, there is this talk and expectation of life. In chapter 4, John doesn't just talk about this anymore. He begins to show it through various encounters that Jesus has. So chapter 4, Jesus, you can turn back there if you want. We're not going to read it, but you can just place your eyes on it. Jesus meets a woman there at a well. He asks for water, and then he offers her water, right? What kind of water does he offer her? Not from the well, from a different well. He offers her the water of life. Just a few verses later, a, a man comes to him with a request for his dying son. What's the man's request? What does he want for his son? Life. What does Jesus give? Life. Chapter 5, Jesus begins to teach on his relationship to the Father, the Heavenly Father. And interestingly, what's the focus of his of his explanation of how he relates to the Father. Chapter 5, in the Father is life, in me is life. He has life, I have life, life is found in the Father, it's found in me, life, life, life. That's what he's saying. The point all the way up to where we are now is life, life, life. The Son of Man is taken on flesh, life. We make our way into chapter 6, and then what do we have here right at the beginning of chapter 6? We didn't read it, but you look back there. Crowds are following Jesus around because of these things that he's doing. At one point, Jesus ascends a mountain, and he looks out in the crowd, and he gives them what? Bread. It's the feeding of the 5,000. From five loaves of bread, Jesus feeds 5,000 men. The point I want us to see in this kind of quick overview is that John has been working really hard so far in the narrative to tie certain elements together. 
which will continue to be held together as the narrative goes on. And these elements are three. Life, bread, Jesus. That's what he's holding together for us. And this actually, it's not lost on the people in the story. So they see the connection. It's just that over and over, they get the meaning of the connection totally wrong. It's like me wiring a, a fan in our living room, right? I see all the parts, see all the wires, but I never connect them, right? So I end up with no light, maybe a fire. It's the same thing here. The crowds are seeing what Jesus is doing. They see, he, they, they see these different elements. They see light. He's talking about life and bread and Jesus. And they deduce very simply, maybe even reasonably, well, Jesus gives bread and bread gives life. I want Jesus. You see, the crowds are following Jesus around because Jesus is proving, at least to this point, to be at least two things. He's proving to be powerful, and he's proving to be benevolent. And their deduction is, if you hang around Jesus, in his goodness, through his power, he'll give you stuff. And it's actually in this light, for this reason, that the people try to force Jesus on the spot to be their king. You see that? Right before our reading in verse 15. They're like, they see this miracle and they're like, can you imagine if he was in charge of everything? What does Jesus do at the hearing of such a plan, of being that kind of king? He runs away. He escapes to the mountain by himself. He rejects it, in other words. And that should tell us something. All right, so evidently the crowd... It's holding the right things together, life, bread, and Jesus, but in the wrong way. They want more abundant life, which means they need more bread. They need more stuff, which is why they want Jesus to hang around, preferably as their king. And so that even after he runs away from them, even after he walks on water away from them, the crowds track him down. And when they do, in light of their great perseverance, Jesus takes the opportunity to now rewire the bad connections that they've made. This brings us, I think, to our passage. Look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They show up and they're like, how in the world did you get here? But notice, Jesus isn't interesting and interested in talking logistics with them, is he? No, he determines that this discussion is not going to be about, be about how we all got here. His interest is in helping them see why they're here. So he's like, let's think, why did you just cross a sea in order to get to me when I ran away from you? Verse 26, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate, you ate your fill and loaves. These people had traveled miles and miles. They had rowed across a sea just to get to Jesus. And how does Jesus greet them after their long journey to get to him? <laughs> With a rebuke. And what's the rebuke? You're only here because I fed you, because I filled up your bellies. You see, there's a, there's a certain type of follower 
that Jesus does not want, who is it? It's those who come to him only because he has the power to give them bread. And it's at this point, in light of this rebuke, that Jesus breaks down and then kind of rewires their connections that they're making between life and bread and himself. Listen to him there in verse 27. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. All right, so what's Jesus' first correction for these people? Well, the crowds are working for the wrong kind of bread in the wrong kind of way. That's what he wants them to see. So instead of seeking food that goes bad through their own works, they should seek eternal food through the work of God. That's his point. And what is this work of God? Verse 29 says, this is the work of God that you believe. Jesus is calling these people to the work of belief. That is of faith. He's calling them to the work of not working. In other words, his message is what you actually want, what you actually need is not, it's not this food. It's a different kind of food, an eternal food that doesn't spoil. And what you need to do to get it is to insist on not working for it, but to trust God for it. What he's saying is you receive the food that will never perish by trusting God enough not to work for it. And how, do the, how does the crowd respond to this call to faith with this challenge? They respond with a challenge. He says, this is the work. Don't stop working for it. Just believe. What do they say? So they said, to the, they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? It's just it's amazing unbelief, isn't it? They go on, verse 31. They say, our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You see, the crowds were beginning to view Jesus as kind of a Moses-type figure. So he had led them through the wilderness. He spoke from a mountain. He provided bread. And so they hear what they're doing. They're, they're challenging him to see if he really is a greater Moses or not. They say, essentially, okay, they're like, hey, Jesus, all right, listen, way back then, our fathers, they were wandering around the desert. They were about to starve. And Moses gave them bread from heaven. That's the sign that he did. Well, what are you going to do? Verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Jesus says, okay, well, first of all, we need to clarify something. Moses didn't give you anything or your father's anything. My father is the one who gave them heavenly bread. But second of all, and to the point, Jesus says right now in this moment, it's not what the father gave, 
the point that you need to consider is that the Father is giving something right now. Verse 33, for the bread of God, Jesus says, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus is teaching them that there is, there's something happening right now in this moment, people, something of which that miracle with Israel, with the manna coming down to feed them in the wilderness, that was just a shadow. There's a real thing happening right now in this moment. Right now, the very bread from heaven is coming down to give life to the whole world. So just as in the wilderness days, the Father's looking down from heaven on a lost and starving and dying people all over the world, and he's giving them bread from heaven that will give them eternal life. That's what's happening right now. And how do the people respond? Verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus says, the Father's sending life bread from heaven to the whole world. And what are they saying? Well, can, can you give it to us? They haven't quite gotten it. Do you see the problem? The crowd is still seeking something from Jesus. You see, they've come to the point to where they trust that Jesus is powerful. They trust that he can do cool things and they can provide for their desires. So when Jesus teaches them that the Father is giving even better bread than he gave their fathers in the wilderness, bread that can give life to the whole world, well, it's like the crowd hears it and their eyes light up and they say excitedly, well, we, we want that bread. Give us the bread. It's like they look around. They look behind them. They look behind Jesus. They're like, where is it? Give, it, give us the bread. You know, the reality is that where they are right now, the crowd would have been perfectly happy if Jesus stopped right there and asked for five more loaves of bread and repeated the miracle of the feeding the 5,000. And then he did it again. He went to another place and they did it again. And they would have sought Jesus all over the known world, wherever he was. They would have crossed more seas. They would have done more service. They would have shown more faithfulness just so long as Jesus kept filling their bellies with this miracle bread. They would have been happy if Jesus did the same miracle a hundred times over till the day they died, just like their fathers did in the wilderness. In other words, they would have been perfectly happy if Jesus had just come to be useful to them in their lives. They would have been perfectly happy if Jesus had come to offer his infinite power to meet their infinite desires. The crowd would have been perfectly happy if the bread of heaven was nothing more than the sustaining power to live out the lives they'd always dreamed of living. They would have been perfectly happy with that. And Jesus saw this in them, and he sought to rebuke it out of them. Verse 26, look back there, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate, had your fill of the loaves. You know, we, we often think that if we, could just, if we could just witness God do one real-life miracle, like before our eyes, like one real-life kind of biblically proportioned miracle, then trusting him would be easy. Believing in him would be easy. It's not actually always the case in the Bible, is it? 
know, what we see in the Bible is that sometimes witnessing Jesus' character, sometimes witnessing Jesus' power, it arouses in us not a desire for him, but a desire to use him for what we desire. And this is what Jesus is rebuking out of the crowds. It's what he rebukes out of us. As D.A. Carson says, he says, when they saw Jesus, their curiosity was piqued. Their appetites, their political ambitions were aroused, but not their faith. I think what this is showing us, something we really need to keep in mind, is that it's very possible for a person to witness the power of God and to be genuinely moved by it in exactly the wrong way. If we witness the person and the power of Jesus and we're aroused only in our sense of worldly appetite and personal ambition, well then what we found, at least to us, is nothing, it's, it's just genie in a bottle, isn't it? And what do you do once the three wishes are gone? What do you do when the genie stops meeting your desires? We should ask ourselves, are we laboring? Are we believing only for the bread that just perishes? Are we in the game only until Jesus cuts us off financially or materially or until he lets our physical health decline? It's interesting. It's after this section of teaching that we have a great division for the first time in the book of John. In other words, Jesus' approval rating goes into the, the tank at this point. Look down in verse 66. After this, as after this episode, this teaching, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. He didn't do the feeding of the thousands thing. I'm hungry. He didn't give us any bread. He just talked about some bread we can't even see. <laughs> so they left. Listen, if we're in it for the wrong kind of bread, the things that Jesus can give us here and now, when, when he, when he just decides to stop giving it, we'll go find it somewhere else. We'll leave him. So if this is the wrong way to go about it, if this is what we're not to be seeking, if this is not the bread that is unto eternal life, that needs to be rebuked out of us, well, then what is this bread? Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark, thankfully. Look there in verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And here's the kicker that they just weren't ready for. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's like the crowds, they hear of this promise, and then they, they look to him like they're waiting for some kind of sleight of hand, right? They're looking for Jesus to pull out like a hidden loaf of bread from under his cloak by which he can feed the multitudes, right? But Jesus, it, it's like he, he looks at them with, with open hands, empty hands, and he, and he goes, I, I'm it. I'm the bread. Jesus' revelation is that, is that the crowd and, and us, we, we've been asking the wrong question. 
the heavenly food sent by the Father is not a what, it's a who. They're asking for another manna giving, another 5,000 feeding. They want to see a thing. They want to see bread in their hands, in their mouths, in their belly. And in this verse, what Jesus is doing is he's trying to help them make the connection from the bread that they've seen in their hands to the man they now see standing right in front of them. He says, I am the bread. He wants them to think, right? The the bread that you saw multiplied, the bread that you took and ate, the bread that seemed so small and impotent and improbable but fed multitudes, do you remember that? I'm the bread. I'm I'm the five loaves that impossibly feeds 5,000. I am the bread. He clarifies this several times over. Look down in verses 48 through 51. He says, I am the bread of life. And he makes the connection. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died, right? So he's like, let me give you a category of, of more of the bread you don't need, right? So if I send down physical bread from heaven, you'll eat it and you'll like it and you'll die, right? Verse, verse 50 then, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I, he says it so clearly, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of, my, of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the one thing needful. He himself is the source of eternal life. Jesus is the one thing precious. Jesus is the treasure. He's the treasure that we sell every other field to buy. He's the pearl that we leave everything else to find. Jesus and only Jesus is the one thing we must leave everything in this life to have because it's only in him that we have everything we will have in eternity. The father desires to give life to his desperate, lifeless people. How does he do it? He sends heavenly bread that they must eat on, through whom they will have life with him forever. And the bread is Jesus. Jesus' message here is, as John Piper puts it so well, is that he has come not to give bread, but to be bread. Jesus has come not to give bread, but to be the bread. So that's question number one. What is the life-giving bread of heaven? Well, the answer is that it's not a what at all. It is a who. It is a person. The bread that gives eternal life is the eternal Son of God. It's Jesus. All right, then, well, this brings up a couple more crucial questions. So number two. Well, then how do we eat this bread? How do we eat this bread? Look at verse 35 again. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The the crowds were willing to follow Jesus across this whole region, yet they're missing the point all along the way. Right? They're missing this point that he had come not to give them bread, but to be their bread. The gift of God they are to eat is standing right in front of them. It's Jesus himself. 
And this is, in, in fact, what Jesus insists on later in the passage. It's interesting. What happens is he's teaching, and they keep raising questions for him. So if you notice the, the breaks in the red letters to the black letters, those are just the crowd raising questions over and over again. They're like, well, they grumbled against him. They questioned him. Every time they do that, it's like he ramps up the metaphorical nature of what he's saying. So that you get to verse 52, and this is the way Jesus is speaking by that point. <clears throat> Listen to 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life. I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me, in me and I in him. What's Jesus' message? It's very difficult, and yet it's quite simple, isn't it? He's, he's just saying, I'm the bread. Come, come and eat. If you don't, you don't have life. You've got to feed on my flesh. You've got to drink my blood. That's it. That's the requirement. It's what you do with bread, and it's what you must do with me. It's a rather scandalous way of com communicating the message for those who like the crowd with, who don't have ears to hear it. But for those who would hear it, it's actually quite simple what he's saying, isn't it? Here in verse 35, I think Jesus, his message and its meaning are very clear. Look back in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says, I am the bread of life. And without confusion, he tells us very plainly what we are to do with this bread. What are we to do with it? We are to come and we are to believe. That's the eating and drinking. You come and you believe. To eat and to drink is to come and believe. That's what you do with heavenly bread. How does one eat this eternal bread from heaven? You come, you draw near to him, and you believe in him. Don't you, don't you just love Jesus' posture here? What does Jesus want you to do for him? Think of it that way in John 6. What is, he, what is he asking you to do for him? Not perform, not duty, not prove yourself. Think of this. Jesus' command is not go and do, but what? Come and take. What a God we have. He looks at these people and he says, you have death in you. I have life in me. I'll take yours if you take mine. That's what he's saying. Come and take. I've already come and I've taken yours already. I've come to the cross. I've taken what's yours. You take what's mine. And what is it that Jesus has for us? <laughs> it's life. Jesus, he knows you are worn down in your sin. Jesus knows that you're sin sick, and he knows that you're sin weary. He knows that you can't take the first step to make yourself right with him. So what does he do? 
he comes to you. And he does all the work, all the atoning work, all the blood spilling, all the death taking. And then he says, come and eat. Come and take it. Come and believe in him. That's, that's the application this morning. Come, believe in Jesus. Believe, trust that on the cross, he took death so that you can take life from him. The reality is, without food, without bread, your, your physical body, it will weaken. It'll, it'll die. And in, in the same way, without spiritual food, your soul will weaken. It will die. You need spiritual food in order to live. And now, listen, this is so crucial. What's the spiritual food that will keep you alive? Now, put the last 20 minutes out of your mind. Coming in here, what would you have said? What's the spiritual food that would keep you alive? What is it that you're supposed to cast your soul on in faith that will keep you spiritually alive? Notice... It's not living for Jesus. It's not serving Jesus. That is not spiritual food. Your spiritual food, Christian, the thing that keeps you alive, is not what you do for Jesus. It's Jesus himself. There is nowhere else and no one else to go to for spiritual life. There is no other power to save, only Jesus. And listen, I'll just encourage us. <clears throat> listen, that's why spiritual disciplines, that's why religious exercises, however religiously, however faithfully performed, if they are performed disconnected from Jesus, they will be lifeless. They will be empty. They will be worthless. We have to realize that it's possible to live a nearly perfectly disciplined Christian life without actually seeking Jesus himself. What do you think Mormonism is? It's possible to live a life full of spiritual activities that do nothing to connect us to the source of life, the person of Jesus. Your soul needs life. Life is not, life is not in what you do for him. It's in him. So yes, go to Bible study. So wake up early, read and pray, come to church, come to classes, come to the Lord's table. And do all these things though as acts of faith by which you feed, not on the duties themselves, but on Christ. Where have you been searching for soul-satisfying life? This passage gives you permission, gives you a command to stop. If it's anything other than Jesus, stop and come to Christ. He has already come to you. You don't have to cross a sea. You don't have to go over mountains. You don't have to ascend to heaven to get to life. Do you see that? He's come to you. So what do you do? Come, eat. Believe, 
Trust that his work on the Christ was for you, uh, on the cross was for you. Trust that the life that he lived, the righteous life that he lived, is now yours. That he endured even your death. Come and believe. The third question, what will happen if you do? If you obey him, if you come and believe, what will happen to you? What will happen when we eat? Verse 35 again. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What's Jesus promised to you if you come to him and believe? You won't go hungry. You'll be done with spiritual thirst. And remember, he's, he's not speaking in the physical realm, at least not in these, these passages. That's, so listen, that is true in eternity. He's going he's gonna to lavish physical, eternal gifts on you forever. That's just not his point here and now. It's not his point in this passage that he needs you to grasp. He's speaking here of our very souls. And, and this, by the way, is the very message of the prophets. This, what Jesus is saying here, when it's foreign to us, it's because we haven't been steeped in the Old Testament scriptures pointing up to him. Because listen, from the onset of sin in Genesis 3, so in other words, from the onset of spiritual hunger from, and spiritual thirst, the promise has been that one day the Lord will make a way for this hunger to be met, for this thirst to be quenched. Just listen to the words of Isaiah 55. Just one example. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear you hear those words? Come to me, hear, why? That your soul may live. What's the call of God through this prophet? Come and eat so that your soul may live. Why do you, why do you work so hard for the things that will never satisfy you? Come and eat the thing that'll quench your thirst, that'll quell your hunger forever. And then along comes the book of John. Here we have Jesus, John chapter 6, and what's his message? I'm the bread. Eat me, and you'll never hunger again. And the message, it doesn't stop here with Jesus' words in John 6. It runs from the prophets, through the gospels, straight on through eternity in Revelation. So in Revelation 7, you don't have to turn there. Revelation 7, though, John is... He's given this vision of people coming out of the pain of this world and they're being gathered around the throne of God. And what does he say about them? Why are these people in such a blessed state in eternity in Revelation 7? Listen to Revelation 7, verse 15. Therefore, this is the picture. They are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. 
For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What's the good news of the gospel right now and on into eternity? What do you get when you eat the bread of heaven? You get God. When you cast your faith on Christ to be saved, to be redeemed, what's happening is the picture of Revelation. What's happening is that your soul is coming home. It's finding the one for whom it was made. You know, church, we should, we should all consider Isaiah's question from Isaiah 55. Think of it very personally. Why are you working so hard for things that will never satisfy you? Why are so many of us Christians so consumed with working so hard for good things that the Bible promises will never satisfy us? Why do we work so ultimately for non-ultimate things? Why do we always need more? What are we doing? More salary, more house, more health, more popularity, more acceptance. Why do we keep logging on to social media that just leaves us thirsty and wilted? Clearly worse than we were before. Church, if we've got the bread of life, why do we feel so famished? Can the answer be anything other than the fact that whatever we're doing in this life, we're simply not feeding on Christ in the way that he's invited us to feed on him? Listen, everybody, everybody here in this room, Christian, non-Christian, the gospel, the good news on offer here today in the person of Jesus is an invitation to spiritual rest, soul satisfaction. Jesus is the everlasting, he's the all-satisfying bread of life. Come and eat. When you wake up tomorrow, you know what the application is? Come and eat. On Tuesday, do you know what the application is? Come and eat. Come and trust. Come and rest. When your finances go down into the tank, when your health goes to the tank, whatever it is, come and eat. He has spiritual blessings for you in eternity. Just come and eat. So listen, whatever you are, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're working so hard for, whatever it is that you're thinking will fill you up, the truth of the matter is you can let that lie drop back into hell where it came from. Your life is in Christ. Come to him. Be free. If I was the accuser, if I was the enemy, I would whet your appetite for everything, anything other than Christ. Every good thing under heaven, I would whet your appetite for. Because you're too cunning for the bad stuff. But more, more of this, more of that, more time here, I would give you all that so long as it kept you from Christ. Reject that. Rebel against that. Reject that. Come and eat. Your soul was made for Jesus. 
He's come to you. You come to him now. Learn from him every day. See him every day. Love. That's why you go to the Bible. That's why you come to Bible study on Tuesdays. That's why you come to equipping classes. That's why you get counseling. That's why you listen to sermons, so that you can feed on Christ. He is not impressed by how much of that we can do. He's simply inviting us to be impressed by how much he's done for us. That's feeding on Christ. Love him. Cherish him. Listen, the the reality is that God the Father wants, wants you so badly to find life. And because of this, he has sent bread down from heaven. Jesus is the bread. Life is in him. You can stop looking anywhere else. This this passage very obviously leads us into now. (laughs) It's really, you believe Jesus, he, he he gave us a really practical, regular reminder of what we can do when we're gathered together to remember him. You know what he did? He gave you bread to come and eat. There's lots of questions about whether John in John chapter 6 is talking about the Lord's Supper. But it's exactly the wrong way around, isn't it? This passage is not about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is about this passage. So what we do now, our participation now is just a reality. It's just a participation in what he's done here. When you come to the table, you're saying, yep, John 6 for me. That's what we're saying here and now. Jesus is the bread of heaven. So we take this bread. It's probably from Wegmans, right? There's nothing magic in the bread. We take the bread. And we remember. Remember, God sent bread down from heaven so that we can have life. And we participate here and now in the bread and the wine. We participate saying that body was for me and that blood was for me. And I got faith in nothing else. Notice when we invite you forward... What do we ask you to bring with you? Nothing. This is a come and take church. It's a come and take gospel. You come empty handed, you leave with Christ. Listen, if that's true of you this morning, if you're a professing believer, so even if you're not a member of this church, but you're a member of a gospel preaching church, you're allowed to take the Lord's Supper there, we invite you to come and take even now with us. If that's not you, if you haven't come and eaten of Jesus by faith, well, you shouldn't come and eat now, quite obviously. Instead, you should use this time to contemplate. Maybe, listen, if you're not in Christ, maybe use this time to ask yourself, what's your plan to satisfy your soul? If not this, then what? What's your, what's your plan to quell the hunger that you know you have? Why not make it Christ? Why not come to Christ even today? Listen, that's you. If you need somebody to walk you through what it looks like to come to Christ by faith, come to me after the service, anybody you've seen up here. So listen, before we come and drink and eat, let's all just take a minute, as we always do. Let's contemplate, really honestly, the sin for which Jesus died. We don't have to mask over it. 
The more honest we are about it, the more honestly we'll take the bread and the cup. I'll give you a minute to think and pray, confess on your own, then I'll lead us in a prayer of confession together.